0: Hey, folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Wissota. Sarah Yacoub of the Manaqua Brewing Company Super Pack is on the Mississippi River. And up on Lake Manaqua is Kirk Bangstead of the Manaqua Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Won't
1: you let me die happy? Happy?
2: Hello and welcome to the Up North podcast. I'm Kirk Bankstead.
3: I'm Sarah Yakub.
2: I'm Pat Kreitlow. And on the show this week, Attorney Mel Barnes of Law Forward and political analyst Joe Zipecki will talk about the impact of the newly installed maps that we all have to deal with for the next 10 years for legislative and congressional representation and what that means for voters up north and everywhere around the state when it comes to elections and whether they will ever actually reflect the will of the voters.
3: And as anyone who knows me can tell you, these boundaries for legislative and congressional districts should mean something. In some cases, it means some incumbent Republicans will actually have to run against each other later this year. In one case, however, it means one assembly rep in western Wisconsin who doesn't actually live in his district still won't live in his district. So we'll get into that wrinkle as well. Okay. So...
4: Sarah, obviously, we wrote this in the script because you t- have you read it because you ran against this guy, and and he's and and we have this weird thing going on. I mean, we're going to talk ma- about the maps and all the politics later, but what's going on with the Z- Shannon Zimmerman? Get let everybody know.
3: You know. Um- Running against him meant having to keep track of all of his shenanigans, and it's exhausting because there's no shortage of them. But among his shenanigans are the fact that for the past six years, he does not reside from the residence that he uses to vote and represent the 30th Assembly District. He lives in his mansion in Clifton and uses his kids half of a twin home, which happens to be next to a school. Uh, to vote and represent a district which is tantamount or is felonious fraud. Um, I actually did the math on it. And if you were ever actually prosecuted, we're talking 300 plus years of prison exposure and millions of dollars in fines. So it's just past the point of absurdity. But the best part is it's a matter of public record. So there's something, uh, there's a, a tax credit that we get for our primary residence and you have to certify that it is your primary residence and it's a public record. So if you look up where Mr. Zimmerman collects his tax credit for his homestead, it's Clifton. It is never the residence he uses to vote and represent the 30th.
2: And in addition, in, uh, in an article we updated over at upnorthnewswi.com, uh, we note that in addition, uh, he and his wife use their Clifton address uh, as their home, uh, as they filed paperwork in Florida for condominiums there, uh, the Wisconsin Elections Commission has dismissed complaints up to this point. Don't know that that would happen if the uh, tables were turned, uh, and I guess Sarah, local authorities could have had the chance to do something about this and have politely declined. It sounds like
3: they have, and you know, uh, you know, Josh calls got his hands full, and respect the good work he's doing. But he's looking to local justice systems to fix local political problems. And we know from, you know, 1930s Chicago, it just don't work that way. We need the bigger fish to come in and say, enough, the law matters.
4: So if this is happening. Oh, sorry. Is this happening in your district or you're not your old district? I don't I don't know if you're running again. I'm not even going to ask.
2: But, uh. (laughs) Just imagine how that's going on everywhere else. Well, it, it's gone on throughout the state because again, that, that is Sarah's story about redistricting. And as we've talked about before, the the map lines are a little cleaner this time around because they gerrymandered the seventh congressional district 10 years ago to protect Sean Duffy from me. When I was running against him in 2012, they drew the line right up to, but not quite around my house. So, you know, th- th- this is not stuff that's on the up and up and, uh, we've kind of normalized the gerrymandering process based on what happened in the state Supreme court last Thursday, we're going to get into that next with Mel Barnes from law forward to talk more about what the Supreme court ruled and uh, what it means for the rest of us voting for the next several cycles. We'll be back in just a bit. You're up North.
3: Welcome back to the Up North Podcast. If you're like a lot of folks, you may not know who's actually your state assembly rep or your state senator. And that's really too bad because the legislature plays a very important role in everything from your tax bill to your schools and roads, whether we have fresh water, whether we try to help small businesses or the big ones that really don't need the help. The list goes on and on. So if
2: you're not familiar with your legislator, this is kind of your chance to reset the table as the district lines are kind of shifting and you'll know what district you're going to live in for the next 10 years, which is why our bumper music there was, you know, can't find my way home as we figure out where these map lines are going to be. Because every 10 years after the census, new maps are drawn for the legislature and Congress to account for the shifts in the population. Now, in a perfect world, those districts would be roughly the same size. They'd be rather contiguous, not looking like a salamander. um, And, you know, On the whole, they'd average out to roughly 50-50 representation uh, because of the state of our politics these days. But we don't live in a perfect world. So sometimes district lines get a little crazy, a little confusing, and it gets even worse with gerrymandering, the process of rigging the maps to take away voting power from a party or a race or a city, Kirk.
4: So that happened last 10 years ago, uh, and the Republican Party really, really gerrymandered our state to ensure that they uh, were going to cement uh, large majorities in both the Senate and the Assembly, uh, State Assembly, and also in Congress. And uh, 10 years later, uh, the process was done all over again, and... um, and I'm I'm not going to get into it. It's it's sort of like it's like a Pyrrhic victory, which we can talk about myth- Greek mythology later. But I want to introduce somebody who's really got you know got you know her finger on the pulse of what happened uh, in the last Supre- Wisconsin Supreme Court uh, decision. Her name is Mel Barnes, and she is from our Night and Shining Armor uh, nonprofit group of lawyers who have defended our maps. And defended lots of uh, crazy things that have been done uh, by uh, by folks who want to bend the laws to their will in the state of Wisconsin. So, Mel, can you kind of just take us through uh, what just happened with the Supreme Court and what are the implications uh, going forward for the district lines in Wisconsin?
1: Absolutely. So the exciting news is that for the first time in a decade, we have new maps in Wisconsin, new voting districts for our state legislative seats and our congressional seats. Now, normally in Wisconsin, this process is supposed to be done. These maps are supposed to be drawn by the legislature and then approved by the governor. But when those two parties can't agree on what new maps should look like, which happens a lot in Wisconsin, actually, Redistricting gets kicked to the courts. So after a whirlwind couple of months before the state Supreme Court with lots of proposals, Wisconsin now has new maps. And this was honestly a a win, a step forward. These maps are not perfect, but for the first time in 10 years, Wisconsin has fairer maps and more people's voices will be reflected in our government.
2: Well, here's the thing. and this is what Kirk was, was hinting at a, a, a minute ago here about how it's, it's a, it's a victory, but the victory's in quotation marks. Um, and, and part of that reason is, is the surprise that happened on Thursday. There were how many, uh, seven maps that were submitted or seven or nine maps? Um,
1: about seven. Yeah. Depending on yeah. which looking at state or congressional. E-
2: exactly. And. You know, the the Republican legislators, again, really kind of forced this issue and forced it into the state Supreme Court rather than federal court, assuming that a a state Supreme Court, you know, made up of a conservative majority uh, would choose their maps. They instead chose, and like I said, there were multiple maps out there. They chose the ones submitted by Governor Evers, which I think caught a lot of people off guard, but Mel, it shouldn't have. And and tell people why. What is it the governor did right in his uh, submission of maps that the legislature uh, got wrong?
1: Well, in short, the governor understood the assignment here. And I think to understand this, we have to take a step back to November when the state Supreme Court first started considering this case. And they set the parameters for what new maps should look like for the parties to propose these new maps before the court. And that's why these new maps, while they are a victory, a step in the right direction, they aren't truly the fair maps that Wisconsinites deserve. The court mandated that any new maps proposed. Use the last decade's extreme partisan gerrymander as a starting point. So some of that partisan gerrymander is then naturally carried forward because of that decision by the court. But when the court said, we want you to make as few changes to the old maps as possible to balance the population and comply with the law, that's what the governor did. Instead of drawing brand new fair maps that would fairly represent Wisconsin, he followed the court's directions. The legislature, on the other hand, honestly, I think got a little greedy. They made some changes that would have made the partisan gerrymander even more extreme than it had previously been. And there were changes that weren't necessary to balance population or comply with the law.
4: So Mel, the question I have is, um, there's two questions. One is, from what I understand, uh, the Republicans uh, have are trying to appeal this to the federal courts, right? Um, my, the second question is, because the Wisconsin Supreme Court made a pretty bad decision in November that said this was unprecedented, that, that said you had to do the least change, you had to try to change the maps at least, even though 10 years ago, the least change, I mean, 10 years ago was really bad. so. If the Republicans are going to try to appeal and get their maps, which are even more gerrymandered, why wouldn't the Democratic side also appeal and try to get this whole least change kind of precedent changed in the in the federal courts?
1: So there's a really narrow window of what could be changed by the federal courts or by the U.S. Supreme Court at this point. And that's because the state Supreme Court here in Wisconsin, it has the final say on state law and our state constitution. There's nowhere to appeal those decisions to. So any appeals have to deal strictly with federal issues and federal constitutional problems that the legislature thinks exists with these maps. So the legislature is appealing or attempting to have this case heard by the U.S. Supreme Court on an issue that I don't think will find any traction there. Um, But we are stuck with this least changes approach for the time being, at least until the Wisconsin Supreme Court changes or we're able to bring some sort of state constitutional challenge before that court.
2: And that's where we get into uh, the matter of, of, of Justice Hagedorn, who, uh, again, when he was first elected, everybody thought was going to be just another far right justice, uh, similar to uh, the, the others on the court. And certainly that that fear was realized in November when he went along with the make the least changes to the horribly rigged map from 10 years ago. But then he became the one to surprise some people, others who've watched him understand that he's more your classic conservative who, again, like you said, looked at what Evers put in and Evers was closest to what the assignment was. And so then he switches and votes with the progressives to accept Evers' maps. So Mel, this probably wasn't the biggest surprise uh, to you and some others the way that it was to, to people on the outside on Thursday.
1: You know, Justice Hagedorn, he believes in the rules. He certainly has a very conservative viewpoint as a judge and a very conservative view of Wisconsin's laws. But he looked at the court's order in November and said, hey, everybody, we were really clear. This is what we said. We were going to require of you. And we're standing by that decision, you know, from just a couple of months ago. So I think that he took the court's authority and the court's rules very seriously and when he applied them the governor had the best map and he stood by that and chose that map even though the governor is not someone who's always politically aligned with that justice that is how courts are supposed to work unfortunately we just frequently see a lot of partisanship from our state supreme court in wisconsin on some of these more politically charged issues
3: so um devil's advocate here um my uh, jury's still out for me on Justice Hagedorn. Uh, there's some opinions of his that I, I think I respect, even if I disagree with, and some where I'm going really. Um, but you know, this is a Republican Party that gets really far with soundbite narratives. Robin Voss is very deceptive, very manipulative, and so I'm projecting ten years from now when we're talking about how rigged these maps are, the Republicans are going to spend hundreds of thousands, probably millions, blanketing the community with. Well, these are Governor Evers maps. He's the one who submitted them and the Supreme Court chose them. So these are the Democrats maps. So why are they complaining to you and really exploiting the fact that most folks are living their lives, taking their kids to practice and getting dinner on the table and trying to make sure everyone's fed and in bed. And, you know, normal people don't follow politics as closely as we do. We're, we're kind of weirdos. But, you know, I'm really concerned at how this plays out. And Hagedorn is sort of arguably an evil genius here because he set up the Republican Party to say, look, these are the Democrats maps and these are not our maps. This is just, you know, Evers trying to, to control the bleeding.
1: You know, I think the most important thing that we can all remember is now these are the court's maps. They're Wisconsin's maps. And while I do think the governor deserves a lot of credit for putting in the work to do what the court asked for here, these are all of our maps now. And of course, this partisan gerrymander that we've seen in Wisconsin over the last 10 years will continue under these maps because of this least change approach. Um, But they really are a step in the right direction. There are just the beginning because we still need things like nonpartisan redistricting form. We probably shouldn't have the politicians who get elected with these maps drawing the maps because that allows them to pick their voters instead of us picking them. Um, But this does offer a path forward and it's a way for us to continue to build public awareness and um, light the fires of activism across the state because I also don't think that this better uh, set of maps would have been possible without all the public organizing and energy and activism that we've seen over the past 10 years. So this is really a victory that belongs to everyone, but also something that we all have to continue to build on.
3: Well, and I think you make such a great point. So even looking at the 30th Assembly District for the little upside down Utah outside of the Twin Cities, And with the demographic shifts and our population growth, we're trending blue. The Republicans wanted to split River Falls in half to sort of neutralize that Democratic voting base, and they didn't succeed. So even though the 30th has safely been Republican for so long, because they didn't get to cut it up the way they wanted to, and it's pretty much the same as it was before, Democrats actually have a chance to really fight a good fight and maybe bump Mr. Zimmerman back home to his own district.
4: All right. Absolutely. Cool. These districts
1: I, really are about, you know, making things more competitive and we all benefit when people are running um, and competing for our votes in these districts.
4: All right, Mel. So I want to do a, I know hindsight's always twenty twenty, but it was probably a bit, uh, you know, you probably were thrown off guard. I'm guessing I was thrown off guard when the Wisconsin Supreme Court said, we're going to go by this least change kind of rule. Um, 10 years from now, you know when we're you know I'll you know I'll be advocating for fair maps we all all three of us will be and we'll be doing it for the next 10 years how do we do it differently how do we get rid of this least change thing how do we present it do we go to the federal courts first how, what would be your strategy 10 years from now and what can we learn from what happened
1: I think the most important thing that we all need to remember about this least change approach is this is how our state Supreme Court chose to approach this issue this time around. There is nothing in our state constitution that requires this least change approach, nothing in our laws, which is one of the reasons that we at Law Forward push back so hard against it, saying this wasn't the appropriate approach for our state it's completely unmoored from our constitution and the way we've redistricted in the past in our state. So we're not stuck with this lease change approach 10 years from now. What we do need in order to have a true redistricting victory next decade, if this goes back to the courts, is we need to ensure that the judges or justices hearing the case then understand the importance of undoing this partisan gerrymander and truly redistricting in a way that empowers Wisconsinites to pick their elected officials in a fair manner.
2: And yet it could go horribly the other way. And we saw that in the dissents from the conservatives, Annette Ziegler, Pat Rogensack, but especially Justice Rebecca Bradley, who went so far as to advocate something that I had warned about months ago. And that is a little history lesson back in 1964 The state Supreme Court was asked, hey, can the legislature do this without the governor? Can they just pass what's called a joint resolution, which a governor can't veto, and that will be the the district maps? And the state Supreme Court back in 1964 said no, and that's been the law ever since. Justice Bradley, Rebecca Bradley, came right out and said, we should revisit that. Her quote was, unlike a fine wine, precedent does not necessarily get better with age. Um, Mel, that, that is chilling in, in basically telling Republican legislators, if you get a big enough majority, you just go ahead and get this done. And if we can get the votes on the court, we we will uphold that. Um, is that a real possibility?
1: It's certainly a deeply disturbing comment. I want to be clear that Wisconsin's constitution does not allow redistricting by joint resolution. That's why the court held that way back in the 1960s. And it's why they continued to point to that decision as the reality and the law of the land in Wisconsin today. What we need to do when we're thinking about the ways to reform redistricting and make the process better is to make it less political, not more political. Removing checks and balances from this process will not ensure fairer voting districts for anyone in Wisconsin. But I want to be very clear in Wisconsin, when these maps are being contemplated and approved through the political process, that requires the governor's participation. And when we run into an issue where we can't get the legislature and the governor to agree, which again, Wisconsin does nearly every decade, though that's when we bring in the courts and they draw the maps. In the past, it's been the federal courts. This time we saw it go to the state Supreme Court for certainly the first time in my lifetime. Um, but that is the role of our branches of government.
2: Exactly. And we we so appreciate, Mel, your, your willingness and everybody at Law Forward to take this on and, and be an advocate for those fair maps. Mel Barnes, thanks again. Great to talk to you tonight. Thank you all so much. When we come back, we will move away from the legal wranglings over the new maps and discuss what it means for you, the voter, and for politicians. We'll have political analyst Joe Zapecki with us up next. You're up north.
1: Won't you let me die?
2: Welcome back to The Cabin. This is the Up North Podcast. I'm Pat Krightlow, along with Kirk Bankstead and Sarah Yakub, we picked the Go-Go's uh, vacation uh, just to send off the legislature. They are a full-time legislature, classified as such. They get paid for the whole year, but they've decided to take a 10-month taxpayer-paid vacation. Uh, so one of the last things that happened before they skipped town was the uh, redistricting case that they were involved with. But uh, otherwise, we're, Sarah, we're just kind of left to our own Uh, devices to talk about the legislature and Congress from here.
3: You you know, we've been uh, focusing this week on something that ought to be fairly benign, the answer to the question, who represents me in Congress and the legislature? It's an answer that changes every 10 years as new maps are drawn after the census. And the changes can mean a lot in determining who gets to hold power, write budgets, pass laws, and so on. Joining us now to analyze the new maps is Joe Zapecki, a strategic communications expert with presidential, Senate, gubernatorial, and other campaigns. Nice to have you here. Welcome.
4: Thanks for having me. All right, so Joe, before we before I ask the first question, I want to uh, piggyback on what on what Pat just said. It's it's hilarious. These guys, the last thing they do is gavel out for ten months, but the the the. The thing they did right before that was basically gerrymander the maps to ensure themselves that they, w- they wouldn't get defeated or most of them wouldn't get defeated. So they, it didn't matter if they angered their constituents uh, by taking 10 months off and still getting paid $50,000 a year to do that. So, oh my gosh, it blows my mind. Um. <laughs> nice work if you can get it, huh? <laughs>
0: well, well, that's the thing, right? I mean, where else in the world can you write yourself into a no-show job right <laughs> usually somebody else has to be corrupt so i think uh, actually uh, uh, some, uh, a some legislator somewhere else in the country not in wisconsin got busted for that today for you know, having a no-show job and that feels like one of those you know relics of a bygone era we don't do that anymore unless you're a member of the wisconsin republican majority in the state legislature
4: wasn't wasn't there a movie where like this guy was relegated to like the basement. Like he kept, he was on the payroll for like years and years and they kept on moving him like further and further away. Cause he was such a disaster. So he showed up every day in the basement, just clocked in and clocked out and he got paid for it.
2: Oh, space. I, I served with people
4: like that. Office space. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey Joe, let's, let's tackle first off the whole notion of, um, you know, these new maps aren't the best, but they could have been a lot worse. I mean, look, that may be true, but to me, that only normalizes how much the Republicans have cheated, that we're somehow happy that the court allowed the old cheating standard to dictate these new maps instead of them being allowed to, to rig the maps even further. Um, is that your view too, that we, you know, calling this a victory is, is a stretch or are you personally satisfied with what the court ordered?
0: I am often heard saying that multiple things can be true at the same time, and this is going to be one of those times. I'm just going to preview that for you. (laughs) Listen, it is good that the overall landscape is better than it has been for the last 10 years, right? Uh, Nobody would expect, and it's just not realistic that an outcome we were going towards was all of a sudden we would have. 33 competitive Senate districts, and 99 competitive assembly districts. That's just not how this works. And so the fact that we, for the next 10 years, have, based on the last 10 years' worth of numbers, 15 competitive assembly districts, six competitive Senate districts, and, you know, the first congressional district to being more competitive, that is progress, and that's a good thing. Now, the other thing that is true at the same time is I think there's a fair criticism that when we spend so much time worrying about the maps and the lines, it can become a self-defeating prophecy. And so those are the two distinct thoughts that I kind of hold in my head at the same time. It's great that we got better maps. The the job is not done, but it's not going to be done 10 years from now either unless we go out and win races under these lines.
4: All right so let's actually talk about the races so um i want to start with you know start from the top these district lines don't they don't matter for the u.s senate because the whole state votes for two senators every you know every six years so we have to start one step below and that's for the congressional races so i'm going to let's talk first about the congressional races and sarah you can we can talk uh, you can ask about the uh senate and the assembly ones but so joe where are you? What was going on before the maps? And what's going on after the maps in terms of the uh, congressional all the congressional seats in Wisconsin?
0: Yeah, so really, for the last 10 years, the only competitive congressional district in the state of Wisconsin has been the third, which runs along the western border, it's Ron Kind country. Um, and that was one of the closest uh, congressional elections in the country. It was one of the very few districts where like, Trump won in 2016, and a Democrat, Ron Kind, won that district. And that that evolved over time, okay, because I'm looking at my notes here. In 2012, Barack Obama won the third district by 40,000 votes, okay? Eight years later, in 2020, Donald Trump wins the third by 18,000 votes, while Ron Kind wins it by 10,000 votes. And so the third district is really the battleground. And based on those past election results, it's getting a couple points tougher for Democrats in the third district. So that one has gotten a little bit harder. And the trade off there is that with the explosive growth around Madison and Dane County and the second congressional district, they sort of outgrew their, their boundaries from the last maps. So they had to take some of those high performance democratic areas and put them somewhere. And it looks to me like what they did was they shoved that into the first congressional district, formerly held by Paul Ryan, now held by Brian style, that's Southeastern Wisconsin. And that's gone from like a plus 14 plus 15 Republican lean to a plus six Republican lean. So that could get much more competitive in the next 10 years, and you know, the, the here's the thing: the third district is going to remain a dogfight, knockdown, drag out every single every two years. It's going to be really competitive.
2: And it should be noted as well that I, I, a lot of people were hoping that the the gerrymandering between the third and the seventh um, that I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, because of of my challenge of Sean Duffy, what they had done at the time was they took Portage County reliably Democratic out of the seventh district, and they swapped in St. Croix County instead. So the third district has this very weird, like reverse checkmark look to it. There were folks that were, you know, kind of hoping that the that Portage County would be returned to the seventh, but that is not the case. There are there definitely some changes there, Joe, and um, it, it is still going to be, like you said, very closely watched as. Uh, multiple Democrats run to, to succeed Ron Kind, run against uh, you know somebody who was at the Capitol during the insurrection, Derek Van Orden. And it it is, I mean, if we didn't have such a, 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 a big U.S. Senate race to watch and a big governor's race to watch, I mean, this one's third, but it shouldn't be a distant third in terms of paying attention. And you're saying the first is actually where people might want to look next because it's more competitive.
0: Yeah, I, no question. Num- the third district is priority number one. The first district is priority number two. You know, there were a few years in that last decade where we were trying to relive the glory days in Northeast Wisconsin, that eighth congressional district, which was held by people like Dr. Steve Kagan um, and, and ultimately and then Reed Ribble, who, a Republican, but certainly what passes for a very reasonable Republican by today's standards, that's gotten away from us a little bit and is less competitive. So now, one and three will be those most competitive races for the next
4: decade. so just to follow up on the eighth, you know I know we're all by the way, we're all in the seventh that's why it's called the up North podcast and uh, you know Sarah was added you know she is she's from Hudson she ran for assembly in Hudson. I ran for Congress in the seventh growing up in the Stevens Point and losing my own family's friends when I when I ran for Congress and Pat lost uh, lost Same. Stevens point as well. <laughs> So we've all been affected by this gerrymander in a big way, but, um, but yeah.
2: yeah. I was going to oh, say, but we're not—we're not, we're not under any illusions here, Kirk. We we know how reliably red the the eighth, uh, the seventh is, and and that the eighth has become. So it's not like we were advocating that it was going to flip, but we were looking to see if it was going to be a bit more competitive where they put the lines, Kirk. That's what you're kind of getting at with the eighth. Well, I, yeah. Well, for the
4: eighth, why? I mean, because. I don't know. I was kind of hoping I was hoping that you wouldn't tell me this. I thought with Green Bay and Appleton and just I sell progressive beer up there and people like it. <laughs> you know, I feel like I thought I thought it was getting more democratic up there. So what do you think? Is that just not the case?
0: But, no, listen, within all of these districts, there are communities that are very progressive. Yeah, yeah. Right. It, you know, and there are larger tranches of these new districts that are very red and very conservative, but there's also Wisconsinites can go back and forth, right? You can win tough races, you know, maybe I'll set up Sarah here, but let's not forget folks, the, the SD 10, the 10th Senate district, you know, shot her round the nation was pretty recent when Patty Shackner knocked off Adam Jarko, who of course were, you know, has sprung b- back to life and is running for Oof. attorney general. Now that's for another, another day, yeah. but even the, the, like Democrats had no business being competitive in that district, but because of the political environment, how great a candidate Schachner was, and the challenges that JARCO had, we were able to pull a big upset there. That can still happen. You just got to work for it. But Sarah, I know we want to talk about some of these Senate districts.
3: Absolutely. Wanted to get your take on where we should be looking for the state Senate and state assembly seats.
0: So on the state Senate level, the, the most interesting thing to me is that all of the competitive districts are odd numbered, mm-hmm. right? So the way we do this is half of the Senate is up in even numbered years. The other half is up in odd numbered years. Republicans have tended to do a little bit better in off year elections. And so now all the competitive seats will be in these midterm elections like 22 and 24 and 18. So... The, you know, some of them that were competitive are going to remain competitive. Senate District five outside of Milwaukee. That's sort of the suburban, you know, one of those collar communities, um, SD 17, SD 31, 25. These are districts that, you know, I think 17 is down in the Southwest. Let me pull up my map to make sure I got this. Um, 25 is another one. That's that northernmost part of the state that you guys, uh, may be in. Uh, 31 is Western Wisconsin, Pierce, Pepin, Buffalo, Trempolo. So, you know, there, there's not a region that doesn't have a race that we can go get. And, and I think that that matters, right? So that's the state Senate. Then in the Assembly, there's 15 districts that should be competitive going forward, right? So those are seats like the 30th and the 49th, the 55th and the 68th. Uh, 21, 42, 85, 88, 96, uh, all of those are going to be tough to hold, the ones that we do hold, and able to go get if they're held by Republicans. And so again, that's, you know, we start from a place where Republicans are going to hold by the numbers of the last 10 years, 50 what are called solid Republican districts. So they start out, you know, basically where they need to be. But as we all know by watching, 50, 51, 52, 53 seats for a Republican majority is very different than if they get to two thirds or if they get to 60 and there are some Republicans who can defect and vote with Democrats on issues. So it's much more likely that we can get a better outcome, particularly in the assembly where we've got that opportunity for 15 uh, battlegrounds.
3: So,
4: oh, I'm
3: going to going to dive into the weeds a little bit here. Bear with us, audience. There's this phenomenon that when somebody knocks on your door and they smile and they seem like a nice guy and they seem like a cool person to have a beer with because you have a positive impression, you then are invested in them not being a horrible human. And so we've seen that. So in the 30th. You know, Shannon Zimmerman ran as a as a Democrat, essentially, a you know, pro public education, pro labor. And he had big money interest groups towing the line for him and dispelling his lies, and people believed it. So, you know, and then me as his challenger come in, comes in and says, No, he's lying to you, or you know, these people are lying to you, and that is a hard sell. So, how do we get past sort of this propaganda machine? That sort of arises every election cycle where hundreds of thousands of dollars get dumped into telling people how to think, where they just sort of create this alternate universe where you're like, no, that's not true at all. <laughs> at the voting record. And they're like, I don't want to hear politics. Just go away.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I- I'm going to be very direct. We don't have enough time for that whole answer before the break. <laughs> so but we're going to start. And th- the first thing is we got to get in the game. Right. And, and ha- hats off to you, Sarah, and to everybody who ran under these old lines. And, you know, listen, it's tough sledding in a lot of these districts and people think you're going to lose. And this is where I, I worry about that self-defeating prophecy. But as you know, you know, given the way the political environment felt at the time, given the way the strong feelings that people had about President Trump, 2020 was a great opportunity to take a shot at a lot of these districts. And, uh, you know, in many of them, Democrats at the legislative level did better than they had in years, and I am here to tell you that voting is a habit, voting at all and who you vote for, and so the the votes we added in 2020, we can keep them and grow that coalition even more in 2022, but we got to get in the game with good candidates who are willing to do the work. Maybe on the other side of the break, we can talk more about that communications environment because you're right, it's an enormous challenge.
2: It's, it's it, it, and not only that, but in some of these districts that are really deeply red, um, you, you have the prospect, if you want, of, of saying, look, you know the district's up against you in this assembly district or wherever. And yet, if you can get that district to move from, say, maybe 39% to 41%, you're still going to lose, but you might have made the difference in making sure that Ron Johnson was defeated or Tony Evers was reelected in a statewide race. So so there's a lot of of moving pieces here, Joe, and we appreciate you being here for a bit to tell us about it. And we uh, look forward to talking to you again soon about uh, all the races this year. Sounds good. I look forward to it as well. Thanks all. All right. Thanks, Joe. We'll be back to wrap up the show in just a moment You're up North. (laughs) to do you wrong, the song says, according to Miss Aretha, and that's the message from more than 1,800 municipal clerks in Wisconsin. All they want is a little respect for the work they do to keep our elections secure and accurate. That's why you are seeing some local clerks and a new TV ad put together by the Wisconsin Counties Association, the Wisconsin Towns Association, and the League of Wisconsin Municipalities. So good on them for reminding voters that the big lie from the Trumpers makes no sense because for their crazy conspiracy to work, You'd have to believe that 1,800 clerks and their many, many volunteers all secretly came together to rig only the presidential numbers and not any of the other races on the ballot, and that doesn't happen. This is the real world where our neighbors are helping make sure these elections work, Kirk. All
4: right, so Pat, you know, and Sarah, you know, we've we've often ended. I think I've read some of the stuff from the Sermon on the Mount I think we had some Christmas carols uh, where, we, where we talked about, you know, we, where we just really like dug deep. Well, Joe here is, is a campaign manager. This guy, this guy, you know, speaks at rallies. And, and instead of me doing my little kind of motivational speech at the end, I wanted to hand the floor to Joe because he really is passionate about about making some good change in 2022. And I wanted everybody to, to hear from Joe.
2: Reverend Zepecki, take it away. Oh, boy. Well, I want to jump off of what
0: Sarah said. You know, it is hard in these local races to talk down your neighbors, your fellow community members. And we know that politics can get ugly and divisive and, and people just don't want anything to do with it. But we need good people to step up and get in the fight. And you can do that and drive a message in this communications environment using all of the tools, including online, like never before. And you can do it in a way that doesn't play the Republican game where you're the person you're running against is somehow your enemy. No, they're not. They're your opponent. And one of the things that's being lost. And if you're running against an incumbent Republican and you don't want to tear them down, lead with that. Hey, I like our legislator too. I'd happily have a a pop with him at the end of the bar. But when he goes to Madison, he's not working for us. He's in in lockstep with a Republican party that has cost us so many opportunities across the state of Wisconsin and right here in the Northwoods. And then you just rattle off a couple of them, right? Lip service isn't providing greater access to healthcare and EMS drivers in the Northwoods. Republicans are standing in the way of money for hospitals. Republicans are standing in the way of a hemp and marijuana grow industry that could create lots of good paying jobs and make the Northwoods a community that people want to come back to, to live and stay and play. And you can do all of that without feeling like you're poking your neighbor's eye out. That's what we have to do. And it starts with good people getting involved, stepping up and running, even if it's against the odds, because if good people do nothing, we know what we lose. So get in the fight, Uh, you know, there are lots of resources that'll support you heck I'll drive up there I'm coming up this summer to saint germain. So on my way i'll stop and talk to anybody and get them the tools they need
4: So yeah, I mean and and you're so right. So I mean I I lost my race sarah lost your race in 2020, but you know what? uh Biden won by twenty thousand votes and there was five thousand more people that showed up and voted uh, in, in in the thirty fourth assembly district in Minocqua and Rhinelander that 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 showed up for Hillary Clinton in uh, in two thousand sixteen that showed up for Biden. That 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 little stuff matters when you have twenty thousand votes. So so yeah, I encourage everybody to run uh, in, in up north, even though you might lose. We need every single
2: we need good people for
3: sure.
4: What do
2: you think, Sarah? Did, did are you convinced? You you want to make I, an announcement? I love it.
3: And actually, if I didn't have to. Point to all of Zimmerman's, you know, unethical dealings. He actually is a cool guy to have a beer with if you don't need him to, you know, represent you. So I, I think it's absolutely brilliant.
2: It's just one. It, again, we're dealing with, and I mentioned this in in my editorial this morning uh, for Up North News uh, in the morning newsletter that you know there there are much like I discovered in my first career there are people who want to be TV journalists and there are people who just want to be on TV. And they don't take the craft seriously. There are people who want to be public servants and there are people who want to rule. They want power. And by the way, they want to play on TV as well. And you have to know the difference between the worker bees and and the diva bees. And if, if you find those worker bees, if you've got one in your community, encourage them to run get them connected with Joe and uh, let's get them on the ballot. Uh, Thank you, Joe, Sarah, Kirk. Thanks to our guests, uh, Mel Barnes as well. And thank you for joining us at the cabin. You come on back up North next week.